I've entitled this morning's message, Superhuman, Superpowerful. Now, the last message I ministered was called Merely Human or Superhuman. And in it, we looked at what we are as believers in Christ, how that we are not merely human anymore. We are now superhumans. Today, I want to build on that message and talk about two of our primary superpowers, the power of thinking and the power of love. We can put these two superpowers together and change our lives and change the lives of others. But just so we're on the same page, I'm going to give you a brief review. Where did I get this word superhuman? Well, I took the word superhuman from a definition of the Greek word for spirit, which is pneuma, from the Strong's Concordance. Its definition is this. The word for spirit means a current of air, that is breath or blessed or a breeze. By analogy or figuratively, it refers to a spirit, that is a human rational soul. By implication, it means the vital principle, that which makes us alive. And it is also a mental disposition. When somebody has an attitude, I'm not talking demonically or angelically, I'm just saying that an attitude is what we call a spirit. It would be the definition. And then, of course, superhuman. Now, I had never noticed <laughs> that a definition for the word spirit could be superhuman, but it can. And, of course, it can refer to an angel, a demon. It can refer to God, God's spirit, Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, and on and on. Okay, so when I saw this word superhuman, the Lord was speaking to me about how it is a really good word picture for us to see ourselves not as merely human, but as superhuman, because we're not merely human anymore. Now, we're not superhuman because of something we've done. I don't make myself a superhuman. It's because of what has been done to me. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Or are ye ignorant? that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. When we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit baptized us into the death of Jesus, thereby taking us with him into death. And then when God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, he raised us up too. So that spiritually old man that we used to have, that crummy old stony heart, that rebellious person, that person's gone. And now we are brand new. We are now spiritually alive to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we're one spirit with God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are one spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. I like the fact that the Holy Spirit used the word Lord instead of Jesus. He didn't say we're one spirit with just Jesus, or we're one spirit with just God the Father, or we're one spirit with just the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot take the Father out of the Son, and you cannot take the Son out of the Father, and you cannot take the Holy Spirit out of God the Father and God the Son. They're all one. So if they're all one, and I'm one spirit with them, then we're all one. I'm one with God the Father. I'm one with Jesus the Son. And I'm one with the Holy Spirit. <sighs> I am not merely human anymore. I've got God in his fullness, in his completeness, living inside of me. But I don't always think that way. I don't always see myself as a superhuman. But that's what God has made me. I didn't make myself this. 
It's what he has made me. We have actually been made completely new on the inside, and we are fully equipped by God with God. God has fully equipped me with himself so that I lack no good thing. I lack no ability. I lack no gift because God in his fullness lives inside of me. And so learning to walk in our superhumanness, learning to walk in the newness of life begins by us knowing that we are righteous, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's when we really start to live, when we really start to maybe understand that God has made me different than people who have not yet been born again. I am righteous. I am always righteous. He has made me righteous. I can't undo my righteous because it's his. I didn't do anything to become it. He has made me to be right with him all of the time. So I am a righteous superhuman packed with the fullness of God. Can anything stop me? (laughs) We've got to get that kind of mentality. I am not merely human anymore. God has made me completely different. I like to say it this way. It's not my fault I'm a superhuman. It's God's fault. That helps me to see there's nothing I can do to make it better, to make myself more righteous. There's nothing I can do to make it worse, to make myself unrighteous. I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. It's who I am. When I start to renew my mind to the truth of who I am, he also wants me to understand what I've got. That I'm not just a superhuman, I'm also super powerful. So often as believers, we still tend to see ourselves as powerless. We look at things and challenges in our life and we go, oh, when will this ever change? (laughs) You forgot who you are. And you forgot what you've got. He has made us super powerful. Just like with my righteousness, I don't do anything to make myself righteous. It's a gift to me. I don't do anything to make myself super powerful either. I spent a lot of years trying to become super powerful. (laughs) We don't earn power from God. We don't earn anointing from God. Now, for years, I would pray and fast and study and read and try hard (laughs) to become super powerful in Christ. All of those things are really important. Those are very useful things to do, but they do not make me powerful. They are not a formula to receive power. These disciplines actually only help me to simply hear the Holy Spirit. It doesn't change anything inside of me. (laughs) I am wall the wall Holy Ghost. I cannot get any more anointed. All my praying and fasting just helps me hear. I like to think of fasting as Q-tips for our spirit. (laughs) Cleans out the unbelief. That's really all it does. It doesn't change God and it doesn't make me more powerful. It just helps me to see the truth of who I am in Christ and how much power and authority he has given me. He has made me super powerful.
when we pray and fast and read our Bible and study, that's when we begin to hear him. When we act on what we hear, that's when we see his power. Spending time with the Lord only helps me to know and recognize the mind and the thoughts of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 and 12 says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. That's what happens when we spend time with the Lord is we begin to understand the things that are freely given to us. It's all a gift. And it's all so that we can understand the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says this, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And of course, the answer is no one. No one instructs God. God does not learn from us. (laughs) we're not teaching God something he does not know (laughs) but he has given us the mind of Christ so that we can know the exact same things he knows we can hear what God is thinking that's an amazing truth we can hear what God is thinking our thinking is one of the super powerful things that he has given us one of the superpowers is our ability to think Now, we don't really think about it that way, that our thinking is powerful, but our thinking is very powerful. In Romans 8, verse 6, it says this, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, this verse tells us that a specific kind of mindedness actually produces a specific kind of result. So if we don't like what we're currently seeing in our lives, we can change our mindedness and get different results. The word minded, I looked it up in the Strong's Concordance, and it says it's a Greek word, phronema, and it means mental inclination or purpose. Now, when I saw that definition, I thought, that doesn't help. (laughs) So I looked up those words, inclination. Inclination means to lean towards. I can have an inclination towards music. I can have an inclination towards chocolate. (laughs) But it doesn't necessarily include my will. It's just a way that I lean. I'm attracted to that. I lean towards that. That's inclination. But purpose is very different. I looked up purpose in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and it says this. Purpose. That which a person sets before himself as an object to be reached or accomplished. The end or aim to which the view is directed in any plan, measure, or exertion. So a purpose is something I, by my will, put out in front of me and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. Purpose is very different from an inclination. When I have a purpose... It's my goal. I choose what my end is. Romans 8, 6 is a very powerful scripture. This is God saying, your thoughts actually produce stuff in your life. Now, if we really believe that, what would we let float around in our head? (laughs) God is saying this. God says, you have a superpower called thinking. And what you think on actually 
brings stuff into your life. So I can purposely think a certain way. I get to choose. When I looked at this word phronema, I knew it was a combined word. They took several words and smushed them together. So I wanted to know what exactly those root words were. The last part of this word of phronema, the ma part, means the result. It's a consequence. It's an effect. It's an outcome. And I particularly like the word consequence because consequence to me says direct correlation, kind of like a speeding ticket. There can't be a speeding ticket without speeding. <laughs> so what I think shows up in my life, not just what I say, not just what I believe, what I think my mindedness produces in my life. It's a superpower that I think we underestimate. The frone part of the word means this. It means thinking, holding an opinion, setting one's mind on, developing an attitude based on careful thought. Developing an attitude based on careful thought is where I wanted to land because all of these things take time. This isn't an instant opinion. You know, when you go shopping, you hold up the dress. Do I like it? Do I not like it? No, put it back. <laughs> instant opinion. This isn't what he's talking about. To be minded in a particular way is to develop an attitude based on careful thought, careful consideration. An attitude is formed by continuously thinking a certain way after consideration and examination. Some translations actually take this word minded and use the word wisdom. To be spiritually minded, to be carnally minded, they say to have carnal wisdom or spiritual wisdom. It is something that takes time and examination. It is deliberately thinking a certain way until you have and hold that opinion. So it doesn't happen overnight. This is sitting down with a cup of coffee and going over something in your mind again and again and again. Why do I believe this? This is this kind of thinking. If you take the subject of healing, why do I believe I'm healed? You see, we can believe it up here in our head all day long, but until it actually get a revelation that that truth is real, it stays in our head. This thinking is a constant thinking. It is a constant pondering. So it is this kind of thinking that produces those consequences in our life. Based on these definitions, I want us to look at Romans 8, 6 again, which says, for to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In the Greek, the word is is not there. Usually in your translation, it'll be italicized because it's not there. The translators are trying to convey the intent. And so they say being this kind of minded is death. We can actually take the definitions we just heard, which is results, consequence, and put them in there. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded results in death. For to be spiritually minded results in life and peace. Romans 8, 6 again. The consequence of being carnally minded is death. And the consequence of being spiritually minded are life and peace. We really underestimate the power of what we think because what we think leads to what we do. Not too long ago, I went to a funeral of three young men, three young Christian men. 
a 20-year-old who was a pastor, and two 17-year-old Christian young men. They weren't doing anything naughty. They weren't doing drugs. They weren't doing alcohol. They weren't fooling around with girls. They weren't doing any of the things young men might be tempted to get into. But one night after a movie, they thought, you know, there's this really hilly road, really fun to go fast on, and we're not hurting anybody. And they went a little bit too fast, and they caught air, and they ran into a tree, and all three of the young men were instantly killed. One thought led them to their death. This isn't going to hurt anybody if they just go a little bit too fast. We underestimate the power of what we think. Now that's a drastic example. And it was so shocking because your brain goes, there's no good reason for that. There's no good reason for that. And God did not do that. They did that. They purposed to break the law because it wouldn't hurt anybody. It was just going to be fun. And it turned out to be awful. We underestimate the power of what we think. There is a direct correlation between what we are consistently thinking about and what we see in our lives. So if there is something in my life in the death category, I must have some carnal mindedness. I must be thinking things differently than the way God thinks about them if I have anything in the death category in my life. Death is anything under the curse. Anything in the blessing category, the spiritually minded category, came from what I was thinking. Part of me wants to go, I didn't make this up. God really says what I think shows up in my life, that there's a direct correlation between what I purpose to think and what I see in my life. I need to recognize my superpowerfulness in the way I think. So let's take this concept of being super powerful in our thinking and combining that with our superpower of love, agape love. Instead of saying spiritually minded, we could very appropriately say love minded. Because God is love, and you can't get much more spiritual than God. <laughs> I think for me, when I always thought about being spiritually minded, I thought of it as scripturally minded. You have to have a scripture <laughs> for every occasion. <laughs> and I don't think that's what he meant. Okay? God uses natural thoughts, but he puts his super on our natural. He wants us to be spiritually minded, supernaturally minded, love minded. Because he is love. The last time I ministered, I told you about a rather passionate discussion I had with a family member. And how during the discussion, the Lord made it apparent to me that through the entire conversation, I had a goal. You see, God's talking to you and showing you stuff all the time. All the time. And when I was having this very passionate discussion, the Lord's like, pay attention, pay attention. I'm purposing to love. He goes, yep, just pay attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so through the whole discussion, my purpose, my goal was to do love. I was being spiritually minded without even trying to be spiritually minded. Because my goal, my aim, my purpose was to love. Well, what happened during that discussion was that the conversation turned in a negative direction towards me. <laughs> and to my surprise, 
I had no retaliation. I had no retaliatory thoughts. That is not natural. That's not natural. Now, later on, they came up. You know, when I got home, my brain started to go, you shoulda, you coulda. But while I was purposing to love, I was being spiritually minded, and this superpower of love and spiritually mindedness overwhelmed my natural, my carnal. All because I set my goal, my purpose, on love. When I set my purpose, it was the Holy Spirit who empowered me to actually stay in love. In trying to take the picture I have in my head and put it in yours, the Lord reminded me of something that uh, Gordon Robertson said on the 700 Club. A long time ago, I heard Gordon ministering to somebody. It was a call-in show, and he was trying to convey to them how one begins to speak in tongues. And he said, he says, think of a bicycle pedal, you know, round and round. You push, the other pedal comes up, and you push that one, and the other one comes up, and you push that one. He goes, that's how it works with the Holy Spirit. You push, and he brings power. You step out in faith, and here comes the power. Then you push in faith some more, and here comes some more power. Well, that's exactly what happened to me during that conversation. I had pushed the first pedal. I had set my aim. I'm going to love you. (laughs) In spite of you, I'm going to love you. I set my purpose. And when I set my purpose and pushed to purpose love, the Holy Spirit gave me supernatural power to actually do and stay in love. All I did was set my aim. He did all the work. That's why I was really surprised. Because sometimes I've been in situations when, I will love you, I will love you. (laughs) There was no self-effort in this. That's why I was surprised. It wasn't me trying to keep myself in love. All I did was set my aim, set my purpose. By faith, I will love you. I will do you love. (laughs) I don't care if you love me back. I'm going to do you love. With the other pedal, I pushed, and here comes the power of the Holy Spirit. And that just kept going. I will love. Here comes the power to do it. I will love. Here comes the power to do it. No self-effort. That's why I was surprised. Because for most of my Christian walk, I have been going, I will love you. I will love you. <laughs> no. It's his love in us. It's his superpower. In Romans 5.5, 5, it says this. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This, of course, is half of a sentence which I'm not crazy about doing, but this is talking about hope is our confident expectation of God's goodness. And you think about it, that's what putting our aim on something is. I have a confident expectation of God's goodness to show up. That his power is going to show up. His love is going to show up. His goodness is going to go, (laughs) ta-da! So, Our hope in him does not put us to shame. In some translations, it says, does not disappoint. He will not disappoint you. He will not disappoint you when you set your aim and your purpose on him and his love. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. This word poured 
does not mean dribbled. It means gushed. It means a waterfall. <laughs> Out of our belly will flow rivers of living water, rivers of power, rivers. I am not powerless. I am super powerful because God has gushed his love into me. And what did he want me to do? He wants me to gush his love on others. And then the last part of this verse, this is one of my favorite verses. The Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For years, I had to be super careful because the Holy Spirit would be offended and leave me. I was taught, Holy Spirit's like a little dove. Be very careful or you will scare him away. Don't you come in church. You'll scare the Holy Spirit. That's silly, isn't it? It is, because the Holy Spirit is a gift to us. He is my Holy Spirit. I will share him with you, but he belongs to me. <laughs> when I got the revelation that I could not make the Holy Spirit leave, couldn't make him, not that I would ever want to, but such peace, such assurance comes when we know whatever trial we're going through, his presence is not determined by how much I have prayed and fasted. His presence is not determined on how good I've been today. Because, you know, some days I'm not that good. <laughs> some days my thinking is carnal. Holy Spirit doesn't leave me. He helps me. He brings me his thoughts so that I can be spiritually minded. I can't be spiritually minded apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's never going to leave me, ever. I love that. I don't have to walk on eggshells around the Holy Spirit. He can take whatever it is I mess up. He's all good. He wants to help me. I love that. <laughs> so we can choose or purpose to be love-minded, agape love-minded. So that in every conversation we have, we can simply aim at doing love to that other person. God taught me years ago to be love-minded. And it's like, okay, what does that look like, God? Because, you know, do you give an alcoholic alcohol? Do you give a drug addict money so he can go buy drugs? People will say, well, you're not being loving, when technically it's enabling. But those people who want to use you <laughs> will tell you you're not being loving. <laughs> so you have to know what love is. Bottom line, love is doing what is best for somebody else instead of what's convenient for ourselves. It's easy to think of love that way with your child. You don't give your child everything it wants. A child will be happy to tell you how unloving you are by not giving them what they want. But we know better. Love does what's best for them, even if it's at the cost of you hating me. Love is always about the other person. Now, learning to renew our minds to be love-minded all of the time takes time. And the Holy Spirit is the one who will train us and teach us and remind us to stay in love. When we say or do something that falls short of being love-minded, he is not impatient. Holy Spirit is never impatient with us. And it's a good thing, because it takes time to change our minds sometimes. Years ago, the Lord taught me how to be love-minded in traffic. 
guess when you really need to put your aim on love? It's in traffic. Because <laughs> when I would start out and somebody would do something dangerous or stupid, I would go, oh, you idiot. And God would say, that is not love. <laughs> so I would work on it. I graduated to, oh, you goofball. And God said, that is still not love. <laughs> oh, okay, God, what do I say? Because something's going to come out of my mouth. And he said, it is appropriate to speak the truth. You can say, that was dumb. Love speaks the truth. That was dumb. That was dangerous. He says, you can say, that was dumb. <laughs> but then do love. The Lord said, if you really think they are an idiot, if you really believe that they have no intelligence, what is it that they need? How could you do what is best for them? Okay, Father, what they just did was really dumb, but they need your wisdom. Father, I pray you give them wisdom. And Father God, they also need protection. Lord, please give them some angels because they can hurt themselves or somebody else. And oh Lord, you know what else they need? They need correction. Lord, if it would help them, cause them to get a ticket. Arrange for them to receive correction. Not punishment, correction. Love does what is best for the other person. I still pray this way for people. See people on motorcycles weaving in and out, being all kinds of reckless and danger. Oh, Lord Jesus, please, angels, angels, angels. Lord, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Lord, correction, correction, correction. Protect them from themselves. Do for them what they won't do for themselves, Father God. Love them. You see, what we think will eventually come out of our mouth. <laughs> That's why it's so important that we think his thoughts. Another area of my life where the Lord taught me this love-mindedness was in the area of impatience. The Lord taught me how to turn impatience off, just like that. I thought that was a pretty good trick. <laughs> I had heard Joyce Meyer teach years ago that being impatient is directly related to pride. Impatience has a direct correlation to carnal thinking, pride. Pride says, I shouldn't have to wait for you. My time is too valuable for this. I'm much too important to be waiting for you. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so when I start to feel impatient, I recognized what it was. I recognized it's just carnal thinking. But I'm super powerful. I have the ability to think the very thoughts of God. I have the ability to be super love-minded. So when I start to feel impatient, that's what I say. That is not love, and that is not how I behave. I choose to do what is best for that person. I choose to be a blessing in this situation. Just like that, impatience goes away. Impatience is based in self and carnality, not in love. So we can actually just switch the channel. <laughs> we can say no to carnal thinking. I will aim, I will purpose at love. And it works. And what I like about it is it's not self-effort. It's not me going, I will not be impatient. I will not be impatient. That doesn't work. That is powerless. You have no power when you're trying to not do something. <laughs> the power comes with the pedal. I aim, and he gives me power. I aim at doing love, he gives me the power to be loving. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 
13.4-8, which is the love chapter. I will do it quickly, I promise. <laughs> love. Now, this word love is not just any kind of love. This word is agape. You don't have agape without having God. People in the world don't have agape. They have human love, but they don't have agape love. And so this tells us what agape love looks like. Agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. Agape love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not proud. It is patient because it seeks what is best for the other person. Jealousy only thinks of what is best for self. Jealousy says, oh, why don't I have that? <laughs> I. <laughs> and pride, of course, is all about self and self-effort. Verse 5. Agape love is not rude, it is not selfish, and it cannot be made angry easily. Agape love does not remember wrongs done against it. If I'm trying to do what's best for you, I can't be rude to you. It's impossible. I can't be doing two things at once. If I am doing you love, it's impossible for me to do you rude. What's best for others is sharing. And since I know that what's best for others is sharing, I can't be selfish and sharing at the same time. <laughs> My aim is love. It's hard to stay mad if someone is being good to you. It's true. You ever try to be mad at somebody and they're nice to you? It's really irritating because you can't do it. <laughs> Stop being so nice. I'm trying to be mad at you. <laughs> and of course, agape love remembers no wrongs done against it. God doesn't remember our sins, our iniquities. Love is never happy when others do wrong, but is always happy with the truth. Just like in traffic, I don't have to be happy about how they drive. I can speak the truth and set my aim and purpose on doing them love. Love never quits. Love never gives up on people. It never stops trusting. It never loses hope, and it never quits. Love always wants what's best for other people, so love never stops loving. It always wants what's best for somebody else. And love will never end. Love is eternal. Love is eternal. It never ends. You and I are one spirit with God, and God is love, and therefore we are one spirit with love. Love is our new nature. Love is how the God in us shows up on the outside and becomes obvious to others. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, No one has ever seen God. But if we, agape, love each other, God will live in us. If we love each other, God's love has reached its goal and is made perfect in us. This looks like a conditional statement. If we love others, God will live in us, when actually it's exactly the opposite is true. I used to wonder about these scriptures, because it says if people love, then people know God. But that's not what it says. It says if people agape, people know God. You see, the human love is based on self-interest. We love those who love us. That's natural. We should love those who love us. <laughs> we have super love. We have agape love. We can love those who even hate us. We can love those who do us wrong and mistreat us. Human love can't do that. So when it says, he who loves knows God, he who agapes knows God. Because it is only agape love put inside of us by God. It's not something we manufacture. We set our aim. The Holy Spirit brings the power to love, the supernatural power of agape love. When we love like our Father loves, then his love has accomplished its goal. It's made us like him. That's the goal of our Father's love, to transform us into the very likeness of love. 
so that the world out there will know what we have is real. It's much more powerful than what they have. Agape love isn't merely human love. It's superhuman love. Merely human love is based on self-interest. We love those who love us, and we should, but even sinners can do that, Jesus said. But only God's love loves those who offend or hurt or mistreat us. Only agape love can hang on a cross and cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus wasn't talking to the whole world when he said those words. He wasn't talking about the whole world when he said those words. He was talking about those who crucified him, those who beat him, those who spat on him, and those who mocked him, those who called him false, all the while knowing he was true. That kind of love, agape love, is supernatural love, and it only comes from God himself. It does what merely human love could never do. It loves first. It gives first. Agape love did what was best for us, even at the greatest of expense to himself. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Agape love loves first, and it loves deeper and wider and longer and higher than any other love we've ever known. The more God's love is revealed to us, the more powerful we become. The more we know how much our Father loves us, the more our faith will work, because faith works by agape love, not human love. Agape love releases the power of God, and you can't separate God's power from God's love. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God has given us is the Holy Spirit, and he is love. He is power, and he is a sound mind. The Greek word for sound mind is sophrenimos, and it actually means saved thinking. <laughs> it actually means saved thinking. The so part is from sozo, and then it has the thinking part. God has given us the ability to have saved thinking. I love this thought because so many translations translate this as discipline or self-control. But guess what it actually means? Purposing to love yourself. Because if we loved ourselves, if we agaped ourselves, what would we do for ourselves? We would do what is best. So when we love ourselves with agape love of God, we have self-control. Our aim is to do ourselves good and love. When we have saved thinking towards ourselves, you see how those all three go together? Love, power, and saved thinking. Love, power, and saved thinking. They go together. What we think consistently when we set our mind to be spiritually minded, when we set our mind to be love-minded in every area of our life, towards others and towards ourselves, we have power, love, and a sound mind. There's nothing we can't do. We are super powerful because of what Christ is in us. The Holy Spirit doesn't set our aim or our goal or our purpose. That's what we do with our saved thinking, with our being spiritually minded. When we set our mind on love and doing love and being love and walking love and talking love, power is going to show up and do what you can't. 
All of those things go together. Power, love, and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit enables us to do what we cannot do apart from him. We are humanly incapable of agape love, but we're not merely human anymore. We have been made superhumans who are super powerful. We have the superpower of our thinking and the superpower of agape love, and nothing on earth is more powerful than these two powers put together. We truly are super powerful. Amen. Father God, I thank you for your word and for your truth. I thank you, Father God, that you give us the ability to have saved thinking. And when we think with our saved thinking, we have power and love working in us and through us. Father God, I ask that you would renew our minds to how powerful we are, that what I think matters, what I think shows up in my life, what I think transforms not only me, but others. My thinking manifests. My thinking leads to my faith. My thinking leads to my power. My thinking leads to you showing up on the outside. Father God, I thank you for the supernatural power of love. That you enable me to simply think love and set my aim, and then you empower me to do it. I don't have to do it in my own power. I don't have to do it by self-effort. I set my mind and my heart on love, and the Holy Spirit brings love and power into that situation. Father God, help me to practice my saved thinking. Help me to practice doing what the Word says works. Your Word says my thinking changes things. So Father God, I set my mind to think differently to think only saved thoughts, to think love-minded in every situation. And Father God, I thank you that it's powerful, that you have made me superhuman and super powerful, and I give all glory and all honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.